Why aren't we making these decisions about our own practice? Yes, I think there is a duty for our profession on many different levels to include educationally, because again, policy is a big deal and it shouldn't just be for the advanced practice nurse. We shouldn't, it shouldn't be beyond your bachelor's. It should be, even if you're an associate nurse, right? An LVN still, because again, it doesn't matter if you're gonna hold a nursing, that should be like English 101, jurisprudence. How important is it for nurses to understand licensing, due process, the nature of boards of nursing, and how to protect and advocate for themselves when it comes to the legal process? Let's talk all about it with Maggie Ortiz, nurse advocate on a mission, right here on episode 371 of The Nurse Keith Show. Well, hello, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is always about you and your personal professional development, your nursing and healthcare career, and the healthcare system as a whole. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring and interesting people around. I love having you along for the ride. And if you value the show, please consider becoming a patron over at patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith. It really helps support the show. You can pledge as little as $2 a month to show your support or pledge a little more and get some awesome gifts from me in return. So head over to patreon.com forward slash nurse Keith to sign up. You can also reach out to me at Keith at nursekeith.com to set up a complimentary consult for holistic career coaching. If you mention the show or Maggie Ortiz, you can get 10% off your first coaching package. So please refer yourself or others to me if they would like to have a chat about their careers and their lives. The show notes for this episode will be at nursekeith.com forward slash nurse advocates. That's nursekeith.com forward slash nurse advocates. And we're here with Maggie Ortiz, a very experienced nurse who has a very specific take on the legal and uh, jurisprudence area when it comes to nursing and licensing and how nurses can protect themselves and understand the process. And Maggie, my first question for you is, what do you think is the most common thing that nurses don't understand about their license? That it's their livelihood and you got to protect it. Mm -hmm. And what does it mean that you have to protect it? Like what, what are the ways in which we need to protect our licenses? Just kind of spell it out. Sure. I think one of the biggest things that basic RNs uh, do not do is have medical malpractice insurance. And that's a disservice if you're standing in front of the board of nursing, because it may uh, afford you an attorney that you may not have been able to afford. That's one of the biggest things and just standing up. Nurses have to start standing up and saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be a part of that. That's unsafe. And documenting it is not enough. I hear nurses say this, uh, who I stand next to. I'm an expert witness for civil and administrative law. I've heard nurses say that in both those arenas, that is not enough. Okay. And Let's go back to what you first said, which is malpractice insurance. I often tell my clients that they should have their own malpractice, which actually is not expensive for most nurses, right? Unless you're a CRNA or something. So most will say, well, I'm insured through my employer. So why should I have individual insurance? And I have my own answer for them. 
but I want to hear your answer. What would, what would you say to those people? That employer does not protect you. That's not think about this. And I, again, in all these arenas. So imagine that you're sitting at a civil case, the nurse, the hospital and physician are all being sued. So the physician has their own lawyer, Mm -hmm. the board or the hospital then is defending you and the hospital. So now you're at trial. Who is their interest? Who cuts their check? It's not you. Right. So then that's a conflict of interest. Right. That facility now has this lawyer that is defending both of you. That's probably not a good idea. Mm -hmm. And what I often say is, look, I say the same thing. Basically, if you're a trial or the feces hits the fan right, and something's going on legally and things are going south, I'm mixing metaphors here, but who is the hospital going to protect and who are they going to throw under the bus? And I say, you're probably going to be the first person they throw under the bus. And if you have your own insurance, which costs maybe, I don't know, $200 a year for, usually it's like $3 million of coverage per year or something. That's where you're going to lean. That's what you're going to lean on in order to get the right representation, like you said. So I say basically the same thing. And I usually We'll couch it in terms of, you know, who's going to be looking out for your best interests. It's going to be you and it's going to be the insurance that you've been paying all along. And $200 or whatever is not a whole lot to pay for just a tiny, tiny bit of peace of mind. And, you know, your hospital's not going to protect you if something happens outside of the workplace that you're involved in. Maybe you're volunteering at hospice or wherever, you know, or you intervene when someone, you know, is having a heart attack in a restaurant, your hospital where you work is not going to protect you. So when, when you're in a a legal situation, what are the things that nurses need to remember? What are the things they need to make sure that they look out for so that they are most protected aside from malpractice insurance? Sure. That if you do get investigated, if you get a letter from the board that you need to make sure that you are extended your due process rights. And what does that mean? That you should not initially respond to allegations. The allegations are normally two to three sentences that you really know nothing about. And now it's two years ago. You write something down and or you speak to the investigator that called you. That will be held against you. You don't speak to them. Right. You have to get legal representation. You should be getting legal representation and or writing a letter of denial and asking for your full and complete file prior to telling them anything. That is what due process is. Hmm. And why why is there lack of due process oftentimes extended to nurses? Why why does that happen? And is it is it very, very common for nurses not to get what they're supposed to in terms of this legal process? Yes, it's my understanding with additional research into administrative law, which is different than civil and criminal law, that it is the nature. The boards are basically sovereign. They write their own rules. They hold themselves to their own rules. They investigate themselves because that's the way the administrative law is written, not just for nurses, Physicians, teachers, lawyers, our representatives don't understand our 
discipline they handed over to the board and asked them to apply all the rules, regulations to that discipline, which I'm not happy with. Um, it's well written about. And it is, yes, it is very common and not just amongst our discipline, not just in my state, but across the nation. Okay. So you're saying that legislators at the state level don't really understand our profession, right? They don't get the the nuances. So they hand it over to the board, like you said, and there's board of nursing, board of physical therapy, board of pharmacy, et cetera. So is it true then in every state of the United States that all boards of nursing police themselves or are some states um, doing a better job of policing them than others? So in my limited research, most boards do not have oversight. So some states do have a third party entity called an ombudsman that a nurse could go to. I don't know all the research on that, if that money for that ombudsman comes from the board of nursing, which I would think would be a conflict of interest. But even if you fall under the, the attorney general, think about this. So as a nurse, right, if you go to, all the way to a trial and the attorney general is there for the board, you know, then who is there for you? Who will you tell that that process mm-hmm. is not fair or that you have concerns about that? So it is my understanding different boards are different. Like in my state of Texas, there is no one that oversees us. We do not fall under the governor. We do not fall under the AG, no one. And I have done my own research in the state. Other states like California are different where they do fall under the AG or like Arizona where they they do fall under the AG, but not every state is like that. And that is part of my research and my journey because I do want to know that about every state so that I can speak to uh, representatives and hopefully Congress because I do want due process for nurses. You've, you've been a nurse for 22 years. You have an MSN in leadership. And from our previous conversation, I know you've worked in OR, ER, PACU, cath lab. You've traveled. You've worked in a lot of different areas. And like you said, towards the beginning of the conversation, you're an expert witness. You're not a lawyer, but you serve as an expert witness. And apparently you, you worked briefly at the Texas Board of Nursing, right? Yes, sir. And, and what, what did you learn from actually having a position with, with a BON? Absolutely. So just a correction, never worked traditional operating room. I don't consider, I am not an operating room nurse. I've done every procedural area, but just not um, the traditional OR. Uh, I see. I sit corrected. Okay. <laughs> everything else but that o- um, OBGYN or LND by choice and traditional OR mm-hmm. are just the only two places I in the see. hospital I've, I've never, I've never worked at. So, yes, I I did spend a a brief time at the Texas Border Nursing. I was there for about six months and learned the investigative process. I had to do national training called CLEAR, C-L-E-A-R. Can't tell you what that stands for. I apologize. I should know that off the top of my head. Every investigator sent to that, whether you're physical therapist medicine, because all of these boards have investigators, we all get sent to this national training to learn how the investigative process, then you go back to your respective board, and then you have a process per se in place. 
So remind me, I apologize, Keith. What was the original question that you asked me? Oh, I was just asking, um, what was it like and what did you learn working for a board of nursing? Like what, what were your takeaways from that particular um, stint, let's say? Sure. It was short enough to only be six months because I, I found it to be horrible. I couldn't do it. I found it to be unjust. I didn't really understand the word due process and or what that meant when I was there. This is roughly 2015, but they weren't extending nurses the due process. I was told they're guilty. Don't read their response. There were criminal investigators investigating practice cases. I was discouraged from getting mitigating circumstances. Again, a word that I learned on the back end of this. I just, it was not just, and I could not be a part of it. I stayed for about six months and then I left came back out, started doing my own research, trying to figure out some stuff and make some changes in my own state. It was an eye opener to me. And now I speak because nurses need to understand that it's their livelihood. This is your livelihood. And if you get sanctioned and or you get your nursing license revoked, you're not going to hold another license. It will change your life forever. We need a seat at the table. It's time for us to have a seat at every table making decisions about our boards. If it's regulating my license, then it's, I I should have, I should be sitting there talking to representatives and sunset, which is what uh, dictates our license in most, I believe all states is only every 10 Mm -hmm. years. That has to change. We have to have Mm -hmm. more frequent sessions where we may reevaluate things. Maybe that's at two, every two years. I mean, in the day and age and the healthcare changing to be reevaluating every decade, I just don't think is appropriate. And you're referring to the nurse practice act, right? Well, so sunset, I do, it, it does affect the nurse practice act. It's the law is my understanding. Cause again, I'm, I'm still learning mm-hmm. that uh, changes are rules and regulations and occupational law in each state. So in Texas, we had ours, I think three or four years ago. And one of the nurses in our state was able to make one of the changes that was reevaluated was making safe Harbor, not just written, but a nurse could use that verbally. Mm -hmm. She could verbally call safe Harbor. And then at the end of her shift, fill out the paperwork. Mm -hmm. So that was changed at sunset. So that's an example of how, how a rule or regulation at sunset can be set um, and change water nursing. Yeah. So we, we often talk about how nurses need seats at various tables, right? So we need seats at tables within our institutions, right? Whether it's a policy and procedure committee or safety committee or, you know, whatever, whatever it is that's happening at the organization or facility where we work, it's nice if we can have a seat at the table and actually our voice can be heard. So that's one thing. But then that we extrapolate that out, we kind of pull the camera back and we're looking at the state boards of nursing, state legislature, and then we're looking at national policy. So we, we look at the big, big picture, right? So there a lot happens at the state level here in New Mexico, the New Mexico Nurses Association. I've been on the board for a while. 
there are very activist and we have an excellent lobbyist who really goes to bat for us and you know gets us in with the with the governor and with legislators to talk with them especially during legislative sessions but i don't know if every state has such an active association or an active group who keep their finger on the pulse of what's happening legally in terms of nursing so what needs to happen in the states where you don't have an organization like the New Mexico Nurses Association that is really deeply involved and watches everything like a hawk? So nurses need to get involved. I, I think that the education, like me speaking out, I've spoken to the Texas Nurses Association. I've token, spoken to the American Nurses Association. I've voiced my concerns. I've been at the Capitol. I've stood in every office of every RN who holds office, of every MD that holds office. They know about this. The public health committee knows about this. We need these nurses association to stop playing nice with the boards. And I feel like that that's what's happening. And that's why I have like withdrawn my membership from these organizations. Because once I told them, and even when I spoke to like the policy person for ANA, and I told her, this is what's happening with my concerns, which everyone should be concerned about. I was told they didn't have anything to offer me. That, that concerns me. As someone who holds a license, and I'm telling you that this is what's happening, and I was on the inside, and you don't want to even talk about that, that that's, I don't really know what to do with that. That's concerning. And again, that's why I withdrew my membership, because I cannot support an organization who's not willing to go to bat for, for nurses. Now, why is that the case? You know, why are organizations playing nice and why are they not advocating for the rank and file nurses for whom they are allegedly working? What what's going on there, you know, in the inner workings of these processes? Really wish I knew that answer. Now, I do know that there are members of like the Texas Nor Nursing Organization, like Lolly Lockhart. She's now part of like the reevaluation for disciplinary processes within the board. She has spoken to like the executive director for the Texas Board of Nursing. So there are people that are trying to do that. I, I don't know the answer. Uh, like I said, the Texas Nurses Association knows who I am. ANA, I've spoken to them. I, I don't understand it. I was on a call with a nurse who's a representative in Arizona, and there were several of us on the phone talking about this very thing. And she asked us to say the very same question. And I said, I don't know. I don't understand. These organizations, if you look them up, I think ANA, the last one I looked at, I mean, they have like, they get millions of dollars to lobby, millions. I don't understand because, again, if I come to you, I'm willing to task for something. I'm willing to do investigations, just even my own, creating task force, figuring out on my own, just grassroots. No one's paying me to figure out how every structure of the border, every state's border nursing is structured so that I can help either another nurse or myself go to every state. And again, if there is no oversight for the board. If there's no ombudsman, then that's a process that I want to see put in place for every nurse. I see. Right. And these are things that, you know, the ANA, why aren't you task forcing some of this? Mm -hmm. And we also have, you know, in terms of nurse practice acts, we have the 
medical associations, we have the hospital associations who, you know, often will lobby for changes to the Nurse Practice Act that water down what we're able to do and water down scopes of practice. So there's just, there's a lot of different areas where nurses can lean in if they want to affect change and if they want to see things be different than they are. But what what is the, hmm, how would I say this? What is the responsibility of the profession itself? Let, let's say hmm, nursing education. So at the university level, for instance, is this kind of stuff being taught to our our upcoming generations of nurses? Is it being, is there a course on policy at nursing schools, for instance? No, Keith, and that's exactly some of the other stuff that I do speak about, because I do think there's a responsibility as a whole to our profession as well. And that's spot on. I think the jurisprudence should be taught in nursing school. It shouldn't be you get out into the profession like my state requires it to hold a license for a nurse and a physician. And then I have to retake jurisprudence every second or third cycle. And it is just literally how jurisprudence means how the law and your license intersect, basically. Uh, I think that it should, that should be taught. I think policy, I think that nurses should have basic required classes of policy. The Institute of Medicine shouldn't be putting out stuff about the nursing. We need the Institute of Nursing. Where's the Institute of Nursing? Why aren't we making these decisions about our own practice? Yes, I think there is a duty for our profession on many different levels to include educationally, because again, policy is a big deal and it shouldn't just be for the advanced practice nurse. We shouldn't, it shouldn't be beyond your bachelor's. It should be even if you're an associate nurse, right? An LVN still, because again, it doesn't matter if you're going to hold a nursing, that should be like English 101, jurisprudence. Mm -hmm. Right. However, if it's not on the NCLEX, they're not going to teach to it in school. And that's a whole nother conversation. And it should be on the NCLEX actually, because it does affect your practice very directly, doesn't it? Um, when we come back from the break, I want to talk about what happens, what's the process when a nurse's license is on the line, when it's threatened? And I want to talk about, you know, doctors not really understanding nursing licensing, even as we practice, quote unquote, under them within various milieus, clinical milieus. And like to talk a little bit about a recent situation legally that's been happening out there that we're all aware of and see if you have a opinion or reflection on that and then how nurses can get involved so when we come back from the break we'll dive right back in for the second half of this episode of the nurse keith show so now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment Please consider becoming a patron of The Nurse Keith Show, just like other awesome listeners who value the show so much that they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support The Nurse Keith Show, you also get some pretty cool premiums and gifts from yours truly. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash nurse Keith to read all about it. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com 
linkedin.com forward slash nurse Keith. And if you know someone who could benefit from career coaching with me, please consider referring them. And if they become a paying client, you'll receive credit for an hour of coaching with me. And there's no expiration date on that credit. So you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. And remember that you can refer as many people as you like and continue to earn those coaching credits. What an incredible deal. And please head over to nursekeith.com and sign up for my newsletter, which comes out regularly and brings you supportive messages, updates from my blog and my podcast, resources, and all sorts of other stuff. Remember, nursekeith.com, sign up for that newsletter, and you'll also get a free download from me as my gift to you. Anyway, those are my sincere asks today. So now let's dig back into today's topic without further ado. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. Remember, the show notes will be located at nursekeith.com forward slash nurse advocates. We're here again with new friend of the pod, Maggie Ortiz, a nurse and nurse advocate in Texas. And Maggie, prior to the break, we were discussing jurisprudence and why it should be taught in nursing schools. And that since it's not on the NCLEX, they're not going to address it because that's what they spend their time teaching is things that are on the NCLEX. And that's a whole nother conversation. We could spend a couple hours on that. However, um, <laughs> let's start with the hard stuff. So not very long ago, we're recording this at the beginning of April, 2022. It, this won't air until sometime in May, but Redonda Vaught, a nurse was just convicted from uh, due to a, a fairly serious medication error that led to the death of a patient. So what are your thoughts about this entire story? Because it's a pretty big one. And I think it's sent shivers down the spines of a lot of nurses. Yeah, so I was following it from the very beginning when it was just starting. I even reached out to her lawyer, you know, just trying to get some feedback. And they haven't even tried to be part of her defense team because no nurse, I don't believe across the nation is defending her conduct. Not one of us, right? No one is defending her conduct. There was a medication error. What we're saying is that it doesn't rise to a criminal con, you know, there's no criminal conduct. Right. If there was no intent and both sides have even confirmed that, then what criminal conduct are you trying to correct that she did? Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. both agree that she there was no intent. Mm -hmm. So medication errors are one of the leading causes of death, right? In the hospitalized patient for sure. Who gives those medications? Nurses do, right? If you criminalize that conduct, just think about this. What she did, right? She, the second that I watched the trial as well. So I heard the testimony. My understanding is that the second that she found out that she had given vet geronium instead of her said, she walked to her peers, which is a hard thing to do for a nurse. You're walking into your peers, physicians are the nurses to say, hey, I did something wrong. I did something wrong and admitted what she did so that they could start taking corrective actions. That speaks about a nurse a lot, right? That that whole big picture, right? What she did you know, speaks volumes. And again, no one is saying that she did, you know, she didn't bypass lots of things. Yes. It's red. It says paralytic, lots of words, right? No one is defending that, right? Should she lose her license? Absolutely. But again, 
It's not criminal conduct. Mm -hmm. You start doing that, you'll create a code of silence, which is already a problem within our our culture. It's well written about. Now, what did you just do to it? You just made it worse, right? Do you think that a nurse is going to come and tell you, report something if she feel, he or she feels like they will now be standing in a criminal court and not just administrative court? That gets way different. Patient safety is now on the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you hold a strong opinion about this, and many, many people do. And she is going to jail because of this this error she made. And there's a lot of arguments and conversations about the errors that get made because of these the medication dispensing technology and how you can punch in two letters to get the medication rather than having to type in the entire name of the medication or almost the entire name. So you type in VE, many different ones are going to come up and it's much easier to make the error. So there's there's a lot of there's some technical aspects of this as well that go beyond the nurse and the nurse's judgment. And yes, the error is hers in the end. But yeah, I think criminal intent is pretty hard to prove because she was doing her job and she wasn't thinking, oh, I'm going to kill this person now, you know? So it's, it's a very sad moment. And I think hopefully one of the things that will come out of it is nurses realizing that they need to be more uh, what we say proactive in terms of protecting themselves and their licenses. And this is a yet another argument that you and I have already made that nurses should have their own insurance just so that they have that extra layer of protection. And let's talk about this process. When a nurse's license comes under scrutiny for an error, whether it's something as serious as what happened to Ms. Vaught, or it's something more minor. Um, what happens, like in, in general? I know every state's a little bit different, but what's the general process if someone comes under investigation? Sure. So someone files a complaint to the Board of Nursing. Okay. It goes to the investigative department. The lead of enforcement is where the investigator falls under looks at it, says, yep, this looks like something we're going to file, sends it to one of the investigators. I So when I was there, I would open up the file, read whatever the complaint was, say it was your employer is reporting you. And so maybe it was a peer review report that I'm getting. So then I then you get, I type up the allegations to the nurse on or about this date while you were employed at this organization, this was your conduct. What is your response? You have 30 days to come back and tell me what it is. That gets sent off to the nurse. Then the investigator starts subpoenaing the hospital, the facility, the organization, your employee file, any policy, procedure, anything that the investigator needs. They start getting that all that stuff. That investigator also has two to 300 cases already, right? Because you're at your job, right? You're not the only one being investigated, right? So that investigator could have two to 300 cases in various stages of investigation, right? Send out your, your allegation certified, send out the subpoenas, waits for that stuff to come back, waits for your response. Once they, they come back to it, they start looking at stuff. And if they feel like given 
what they find, maybe not even speaking to you, maybe not getting all the witnesses, maybe not getting all the mitigating circumstances, decide that your conduct is doesn't fall in rules and regulations. So they say that you did this, this, or this. This is what they're sending you agreed orders that they want you to sign. If you don't sign those, they can charge you and and or you can ask to go to an informal conference where you sit down with the investigator, you sit down with a board investigator, other investigators, the executive director, a lawyer at the board, and you're talking about your case. You still can't come to an agreement. You want to go to a mediation. Then now you go to a mediation, there's a, a judge involved. You don't agree with the mediation. You want to go to trial. You go to a trial. You hopefully you at a trial, you have to have a lawyer. And if you go to mediation, you have to have a lawyer. The other two, the nurse can do independently, not highly recommended, but there are nurses that can't afford attorneys. Yes. So you go to all the way to a trial. Again, you don't agree with what they're saying. When you get to that process, the board still gets the final decision. The judge never gets the decision. Even if the judge doesn't agree with what the board says, what the judge says is just a suggestion. The board still gets to make the final decision against your license. Why does the board have final decision and a judge overseeing the trial doesn't? Doesn't a judge always have final decision in legal processes? In civil and criminal law, that is true, but not in administrative law. Oh, and that's true in every state. That's true in every discipline as well, every state and every discipline. So even if you're a lawyer, you're a teacher, you're a physician, it's the same situation because it goes back to they don't understand our governing bodies. So I speak about that, right? The, the, The board's being sovereign. They write their own rules. They investigate. They do. I don't agree with that. That has to be removed away from them. And part of that is when I tell my representatives, when I tell other nurses that, again, if you go to a trial, the judge doesn't have a final saying that should be concerning to even the public. Right. That's not a fair process. That is not our that doesn't fall under due process or your constitutional right as an American. It sounds like you've learned a lot over these years and that you're studying more and more and understanding. And what is it that what are the other things that really bother you? You have wrote written to me that that doctors don't really understand our license, even though we practice under them. What does that what does that mean in terms of the day-to-day? How does that affect us? when it comes to our ability to practice safely and protect ourselves when doctors don't understand what our license means and what nursing practice is. Sure. And as a RN and even as an NP, we, we don't necessarily practice under a physician. Yes, a physician may give me an order and or direction, right? But we have nursing diagnosis. We have nursing care plans. Like in my own state, 1514 says that my license supersedes a physician order and or a policy. And that was put in place in 1983. Hmm. Most nurses have no idea. Most physicians don't know. They assume you practice under my license. If I give you an order for 500 million milligrams of this, it doesn't matter if you do it, something happens because you know, I gave the order and I have to remind them 
gently, no, sir, that's not how this works. I actually cannot do that. If I do something again, that is not safe. And again, that's a, that's an extreme, extreme example. Mm -hmm. But again, a, a nurse actually I just got off the phone with a psychiatrist was trying to give her instruction on medical management as a nurse practitioner of a COVID patient. He's a psychiatrist. She had to remind him that it's not within his scope of practice to give orders for medicine because that's not his scope. Right now, if she was taking orders from him, she can be reported, right? And or if she allows him or doesn't reach out because she ended up having to call rapid and a code and they get the medical director involved because, again, the, the physician was not at behaving in his scope of practice, if that patient would have had a bad outcome, she absolutely would have been investigated by the board because she knew that that physician was not a medicine provider, was a psychiatrist and did not understand a medical patient. And she had a duty to that patient, whatever it is, to call 911. She said, call 911. I said, yes, absolutely. Yes. If that's mm -hmm. what it means that you have to do, then yes, ma'am. That physician reported her to the board of nursing. Interesting. So you talk to a lot of nurses, it sounds like, RNs, LVNs, nurse practitioners, APRNs, et cetera. What is it that you actually do? Because you're you're not an, a lawyer, though you have a great deal of understanding about jurisprudence and how it impacts nursing and nursing licenses and practice. So what do you actually do as an advocate for nurses? Because I personally want to know because a lot of nurses reach out to me who need help and I have some resources for them, but now I have another one, which is you. So can you explain for me and the audience what it is you actually do and how you can help? Sure. So I, I am a nurse advocate, um, case manager. I use the Nurse Practice Act, nurse, nurse rules and regulations under the Board of Nursing that mandate our, you know, the regulate our license. And then I help nurses through the process, sometimes with a lawyer, sometimes without. Sometimes a nurse can't afford a lawyer. So I try to get them, I walk them through the process. Um, or we try to wait to the very end to try to get them a lawyer to try to save them some money. So maybe we work on your general denial letter, we get your file, we look at that, and then you write your response. Or then we go to a mediation. If you want to go to a trial, then, you know, maybe I help you get like it to go fund me or get some other resources so you can get a lawyer to help you through that. You know, because, again, if you want to go to trial, you have to have a lawyer. Emotionally, I try to support them because, again, nurses reach out. It's devastating. It's your livelihood. They're upset. Like one of the nurses, she had charges. They charged her with 35 things. I ended up testifying for her. At, with her at her hearing and they ended up dropping all 35 charges. So I've testified for nurses in administrative law. I've helped write their general denial letters, their responses, help you find a lawyer and emotionally just try to help you. I do have a support group for nurses because it can be the shame, the guilt. There's a lot that goes along with that emotionally and nurses need that additional support. So I generally, I'm not, like you said, I'm not a lawyer. I don't give legal advice. That's not my lane. I am a nurse advocate. I use rules, regulations, and then my investigative experience to help guide a nurse through the process. And 
it sounds like right now you don't have a website per se, but you have a Facebook group and it's advocates for, that's the number four nurses. And are you also on other social media platforms or do you stay specifically in Facebook? That Instagram, pretty much all the same handles, advocates mm-hmm. for nurses. I have a Facebook page, advocates for nurses, Facebook group, advocates for nurses. I am on LinkedIn. You can look me up, Maggie Ortiz, Twitter, Advocates for Nurses. So pretty much Advocates for Nurses. I'm working on a fa- uh, a website in my journey, trying to figure out, you know, kind of at a place where I want to go because I am obviously very passionate about this and I obviously do want change. I just need the right platform. I need my people to come on board. Mm-hmm. I need my people to start listening. Yeah. And we got to make change because it can't just be me, Maggie Ortiz standing at the Austin Capitol telling, you know, the public health committee, it has to be the other 400,000 nurses who hold a license in the state. Mm-hmm. And if even that means I'm just putting your name on a petition and I'm just standing there, don't care, but it just can't be me. Right. Exactly. And so people can reach out to you if they need help, whether or not they have a lawyer. So you can be that person who helps explain things to them, right? And walks them through the process, holds their hand, lets them understand exactly what's happening, what's going to happen or what just happened. Um, So you can walk them through that so that they feel more comfortable and they feel safer because they have someone who understands. And like I said, towards the beginning of the show, you've worked in a lot of different clinical areas. Are you still practicing as a nurse at this time? I'm not. I'm doing patient advocacy. I just left the cath lab. Not really sure if I want to go back to the clinical setting. Mm-hmm. I think that I'm called to to do this. I think that I, again, I'm at this place on my journey where it just kind of things have aligned. And I think it is time for me to transition into really doing stuff to advocate for us. I, I do want to be at a congressional table to help make the right decisions for nursing because healthcare obviously we're seeing is just in a in a horrible state right now and it's affecting nurses so mm-hmm. i want us to have uh you know some say in how we move forward in healthcare that sounds very prudent and that sounds like you're a great person to do just that for us and before we end maggie i have four questions i like to ask all my Yes, I've been doing this for a few months now, and it's always really interesting to hear what they say. So are you game to answer four questions? Absolutely. Okay. So the first one is, how do you define success? For me, success is just not monetary at all. I think it's personal growth. I think leaving your comfort zone, growing and learning, to me, that is successful. Leaving my comfort zone and learning and growing more. That's really nice. I like that a lot. And the second question is, how would you describe one person who's inspired you in the course of your life, living or dead, famous or not famous, to someone who's had an appreciable impact on you? Selfless. Who was that? It was my grandmother, and I would say selfless, pretty selfless. Um, yeah, she. Had, I think that's what I'm became a nurse because of her. She actually was one of 18 people ever diagnosed with a disease. She was at the Cleveland clinic and the ICU. And she's why I became an ICU nurse. 
I decided I was going to school, wasn't sure what I was going to be. And that was her last parting gift to me. She died at 59, way too young, grew up in the UK, did not come to this country, you know, until she was in her 20s, learned how to drive a car when she was in her 20s, lived during the Second World War. So selfless for sure. You were the third person, I think, or maybe fourth to name their grandmother as the person who's really inspired them in the course of their life. I think that's really interesting and really cool. Um, that's great. I'm really glad to hear that story. And I'm sorry she died so young. That's you. just a year older than I am right now. And I just can't imagine. Um, so the next question is, is there a book or a movie that's had a major impact on the way you think or the way you live your life? Yes. Tim Ferriss's four hour work week. Oh. I love me some Tim Ferriss. I follow him explicitly his perspective on things I have helped change. Uh, self-care is a big deal. Taking out time for yourself. I train five days a week. I think it's very self-caring and that again, goes back to some of your overall success. Tim Ferriss is, is the man. I, I, he has some pretty interesting stuff. He does. I read that book back in the day. I would need to reread it to really get the basis of his his thesis again, but it's an important book and it was very pivotal for a lot of people when it came out. So that's, that's a good one to remind us about. And now last question is what's one piece of advice you would give your 18 year old self. So 18 year old Maggie right now, whether you think she would listen to you or not. You're smarter than you'll ever know you'll be. Hmm. Did your grandmother tell you that? No, I had to start telling myself that I kind of come from a troubled home and my family didn't even believe I would graduate from high school. Mm. I now hold a master's degree. I've become very successful. So my 18 year old self, I would just remind you are smart. Mm -hmm. That's a really good message for a young woman, isn't it? Maybe she would listen. It is. Maybe she would listen. Well, Maggie, thank you so much. I'm so glad you reached out to me. These are really important issues, and I think people need to sit up and listen when it comes to having their own malpractice, understanding what jurisprudence really means and how they can protect themselves and why there are people like you and nurse attorneys and others who are out there for them and that they can't rely on their employer to protect them, that they need to learn how to protect themselves. So thanks for you know, creating a, a, a new platform where nurses can get help and anyone can go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash advocates, the number four nurses, and they can join the group, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. And then they can interact with you and interact with other members and get some of the advice that other people might have for them. So thanks for creating that. Yeah, and they can independently email me as well. It's advocates with an S, number four, nurses at Gmail. They can email me as well because some people are, you know, don't publicly want to speak about things. That's perfectly acceptable. You can Facebook message me. You can email me. Absolutely, I will create time for you. 
that's great. Thank you. And I'll be sending people to you as they come to me when they're looking for help. So thank you so much for being a great resource out there for nurses who need you. Why, thank you, sir. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode. Remember, you can go to nursekeith.com forward slash nurse advocates to learn all about Maggie Ortiz, or just go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash advocates, the number four nurses and reach out to Maggie. And you can also email her, like she said, at advocatesfornurses at gmail.com. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered from this episode. And remember, if you need holistic, personalized career coaching, reach out to me, mention Maggie, mention the show, mention Nurse Advocates, get 10% off your first coaching package. And if you want to throw a couple dollars a month at me, go to patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith to promote the to support, not promote, well, you can promote, but to support the show. The Nurse Keith Show is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. Please check them out. It is a great and growing podcast network with a lot of powerful and informative shows. We are adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting and Mark Cappiespeason is our stalwart social media ringmaster. I'm always grateful to Rob and Mark for keeping the wheels turning in the right direction because otherwise, who knows what would happen. Before we say goodbye, I'll leave you with this quote. One of my very favorites, it's by the musician Robert Fripp. May my living honor my parents. May my living repay the debt of my existence. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. And my new friend and new friend of the pod, Maggie Ortiz, saying arrivederci from... Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. Thank you so much, Maggie. Thanks for being here, everyone. And we will catch you on the proverbial flip side. 